Uh, I, have, I have one announcement to tell you about as we start, and that is uh, the women's Bible study is going to start up on September 27th at 9.30. If you can make that, it would be awesome if you can make it. You can sign up if you need child care. They'll have child care available. They're going through a book called Gospel Fluency. Gospel Fluency is an excellent, excellent book. If you haven't read Gospel Fluency and you can make it to the study, you should go to the study and go through Gospel Fluency. If, you, if you're a dude and you can't make it to the study, you should pick up the book and read the book anyway. It is an excellent book. It gives you more of the heart of who we are as element, as a church. And I'm going to tell you, if you have ever thought, well, maybe I'll go to the women's Bible study, go to the women's Bible study and do Gospel Fluency. Is that good enough? Yes. I have no idea. Ask him at the Welcome Center in the back. I do not know how much the book is. <laughs> I got it mine on Amazon. Okay. <laughs> so, there you go. I'm sorry, I am not full of the answers. I only have, go to the class, because it'll be awesome. I'm totally digging the weather, too. The weather's cooler right now, which is nice. Uh, what do I got? I think that's it. Hey, if you're new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. And it says, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who continue to trust in your providential goodness. That we would see the things that come into our lives as having been sifted through your hand. And that you intend to grow us and remake us and reshape us into who we are always meant to be. So teach us to trust you and love you as we live out this life, as you gain great glory and your people live in the joy you provide. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is an Old Testament book. Some people call it a love story, and it is a love story. Some people call it history, and it is. Uh, Some people call it a redemption story. It's definitely that. I think it is all of those things. Uh, I also think the story centered on is better understanding who God is and what he does through providence, that our hope in who he is is never in vain. Today is going to be like a Ruth review or a Ruth chapter 1 review, because I'm going to finish out the first chapter of Ruth today, and we're going to tie it together with God's providence providential goodness. What you see throughout the scriptures and history is God mainly works in two ways. The first way is called miracles. Miracles. This is like God parts the Red Sea. Jesus walks on water. People get healed of diseases. God speaks out of a burning bush. Miracles. Like you drive down Broadway, you get a green light. Miracle. Right? But God also works mainly through the scriptures through this thing called providence. This is what you see in the book of Ruth. God works through his invisible hand, constantly moving all things to where he wants it to be. Sometimes people say, I wish I could see God work in my life. I think you can. Just take a step back and look back at where you are now and where you have been. Even coming to this place on this day for this message from this weirdo guy right here, is you are here for a reason. It's God's providential goodness that you are here. It's the idea that God doesn't just work in nations. God works in individual people like us, like Ruth, like Naomi, like Elimelech. God is always at work in the details. And again, I think it's a lot like our lives. Think of the family and where your family was from and how you're in America and where it all came from and how you're, all those kind of things, how they go together. Anybody ever Ancestry.com your life? Anybody? One person last service. Oh, like 
five. Wow, you guys are amazing. I did it once. I got lost, so I quit going. But I, I found out I found out a couple things from Ancestry, or not from from my dad, who says he Ancestry.com this stuff. And I'm not sure if it's true, but this is what he said. Uh, you ever see the movie Braveheart? Right. Okay. Spoilers coming. Uh, in the middle of the movie Braveheart, there, he's you know William Wallace. He's fighting the English again, and there's this battle he goes into. And his plan is we're going to take all of our guys in the middle of this battle, and we're going to fight and fight and fight, and then it's going to look like we're losing. The English are going to commit all of their horse down to come after us, and then I'm going to wave my flag, and my horse are going to come around and bring them. We're going to kill them all. It'll be great. Woo! Freedom. Okay, so what happens is this battle starts in the middle of the field. His guys look like they're losing. The English commit their horse to go in and take him out. And William Wallace picks up this flag and he waves it for his guys to come running in. And the guys on the horses turn around and they ride away. And they leave him there to die. Those guys who rode away, my ancestors. Freedom. Okay. We don't get to choose our family. We don't, get cho- we don't get to choose who they've been and where they are. One person I heard talk about Ruth and family say you have no control over the memes. This is from the word mimetic. This means the stories which are you're told as a child that shape your world. The fears and the habits your parents had that kind of becomes ingrained in who you are. Just We just see it and we watch it and we observe it and we take them upon ourselves. And in the book of Ruth, you have Naomi and Ruth. They're not in control of many of the situations in their lives that they find themselves in. Sometimes when I watch the news, I see these people in places like Detroit or uh, you know, an urban blight part of New York City, and they're complaining, and I'm like, why don't you just move? I'm sure it's a Midwest state that has you know, lots of jobs. You can just move there and get one. But what I don't realize sitting from where I am is that a lot of those people feel stuck where they are, that they can't get out. They're just there. Naomi and Ruth, they're raised in a culture that doesn't afford them a lot of freedom. And the question becomes, I think as you read the story, are they just stuck there? Like maybe sometimes how we feel, are we just stuck there? So the story of Ruth is a family who moves to this place called Moab because of a famine. Moabites viewed Israel exactly how we feel about the guys who left William Wallace on the battlefield. They feel betrayed, there's deep-seated anger and stuff, and the Israelites feel the same way about the Moabites. So is there a way to not stay stuck where we are? Am I... Am I always going to be a betrayer because my family did that to poor William Wallace? And that's kind of a question the text of Ruth asks. So I'm going to do a short bit of where we have been in the story and finish out the first chapter of Ruth. You can open to Ruth chapter 1 if you have a Bible. That's where we're going to be. Uh, The first chapter of Ruth and later ones present us with five problems when you look at the character and the narrative. The first one is time. Uh, Ruth, Naomi, they are born into the time period of the judges. There is no centralized leadership in the nation of Israel. So when a famine hits, there's no support structure. You cannot go to the king and say, hey, I didn't save. You're the king. You must have. Give me some food because there isn't one like that. Sounds a lot like debt in America, right? I didn't save. Help me out of my debt, America. Uh, You have a country, Ruth and now Naomi. They're in the wrong country. Moab is not a good place to be. Then you have the ethnicity. Ruth is a Moabite, uh, an enemy of the Jews, even though they share a common language. In the book of Numbers, before uh, the book of Judges, the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they refuse to trust in the goodness and the grace of God. In the wilderness, they keep running into the Moabites, and the Moabites keep trying to destroy the Israelites. And when they can't, they go and hire this guy named Balaam, who was a prophet, spelled P-R-O-F-I-T, Profit, because he charges them a lot of money to try and go and curse Israel. But every time he goes to try and curse Israel, the only thing that will come out of his mouth is blessing. 
It's really funny. It's in Numbers 22 and 23. You can read it at, at some point. And it's like, like if I was so mad at you for blaring your country music, and I walked up and I, all I could say was, that sounds great. Turn it up. Play it again. It'd be like, ugh. So Balaam, a few chapters later, gets another idea. And his idea is, hey, let's throw a cultic fertility party to Baal, and we'll bring all the Moabite women in. They'll seduce the Israelite males. They will sleep with them. Their God will get mad. Take care of the problem for us. And this is a very dark time in Israel's history. God gets angry. Moses gets angry. The Moabites become more hated because they're constantly trying to destroy Israel. And the Moabites are bad. It's not a good thing, but the Israelites do it. They actually do it. They're the ones that make the decisions to do it, just like most of us. When we think sin is easy and no one is looking, if we really want something, we convince ourselves it's okay. This causes this line to be written in the law. Deuteronomy 23.3. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Ruth is a Moabite. We just did this series called What in the World about questions in the Bible that make us say, what in the world is that there for? And sometimes people ask, well, if God wants everybody to come in, then why no Ammonite or Moabite? Again, this is about identity. It's a whole other sermon for another time, but... Suffice to say, God wants the foreigners to come in. Uh, when you meet Ruth, she is married into an Israelite family. From a biblical point of view, that is a way of saying she's not welcome. She doesn't have a choice where she was born. She also doesn't have a choice of who she married. It's not like today, where people date and you can say yes or no. As a girl in that culture, you get told who you are going to marry. So all these decisions get made, and she gets attached to a people group who don't like her. Say so The fourth thing you have is gender. From an ancient point of view, women have no rights. Ruth and Naomi don't really have a lot of options because society says women are left out. And fifthly is their social status. They are destitute. They are widows. One commentator calls them liminal women. The word liminal comes from a root that means threshold, like you're in, you're in one room and you're walking to another room and you're not there yet. You're in between spaces. That's liminal. And so women and orphans and prostitutes in the ancient world were liminal. They, they had really no place in society. No one knew what to do with them. Naomi and Ruth had social standing earlier because of their husbands or because of Naomi's children, but now they're all dead and so it's all gone. If Naomi wants to go back to Israel and claim her ancestral lands, she can't because she no longer have, has a husband. Ruth can't go to Israel and claim her husband's ancestral lands because he is dead. It's a whole tragic story. So Naomi has decided last week, I'm going to go back to Israel anyway, and I think she's going back because she plans to die. I think that's where she's going. And the smart thing for Ruth to do would be to go back to her family, find another husband. She's young enough. The text indicates she is exceedingly beautiful, so she's got a chance. But she has almost no chance if she stays with Naomi. But what Ruth says to Naomi is, there's no way I'm leaving you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your God. I'm going to worship him. And where you go, that's where I'm going to go. And Ruth sees the goodness and the sovereignty of God even in the midst of her loss in a way that Naomi, who was raised among God's people, doesn't. Ruth says this in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. In an impossible situation with no power, no prospects, no land, no future, Ruth clings to Naomi in an act of courage. It says, I want to attach myself to your God and to you. She will go to a land called Bethlehem that is not her home. She will follow Naomi to these places in the midst of this. She will go to a people who do not accept her ethnicity. She can't see the future, but she risks everything to follow God. 
Ruth going to Bethlehem is gutsy for a Moabite because, again, the Hebrews don't like them. It's like how the Germans view the Jews in the 40s or how ISIS views the Jews today or how a black person feels in the Deep South at almost any time in America's history. It's how a Donald Trump supporter feels on Facebook. Right? She she goes. She has no food, no income, no idea of what's going to happen when she gets to Bethlehem. And so this is where we are, Ruth 119. This is where we left off last week. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. That's an over 50-mile journey. We don't know what happened on the way. And when they came into Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It's like, it kind of looks like her. She left a few years ago, but man, she looks bad. I mean, that, that is, you never want to say that to a woman, by the way. Just throw it out there. Dudes, you ever want to get a date? Don't be like, well, you look bad. Don't say it. It's because your date's not going to happen. You can say this to a dude who got in a fight and won. You look bad. That's a badge of honor for a dude. Like, yeah, I look bad. Woo! I had this guy, when I was putting this message together, uh, strung out on drugs, shows up at my house at 2 a.m., and um, I didn't recognize him because he looked bad. I thought he was somebody else. And he goes, no, I'm so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I kind of squint like yeah you are so and so it's because he looked really bad this is naomi she leaves she has a husband a couple sons she comes back with a moabite girl in in tow and no husband or sons what's going on here there's a story spill the beans what's up with that we want to know inquiry minds want to know verse 20 she said to them do not call me naomi which means uh sweet or pleasant call me mara which means bitter. She goes, call me the mean, angry, old hag that lives down the street and yells at your kids when they drive by on their bicycles. That's who I am. Have you ever met or talked to a bitter old hag? Did you bring one with you today? (laughs) Don't raise your hand, okay? First, they're like, oh, and I'm like, oh, why? Did you bring one? I mean, come on, seriously. Why react like that? You know, how many, how many of you have ever met one? A lot of us have, have met them. They're not fun to be around, right? Boy, I am the only guy, right? That. Pfft. Anyway, you have a desire to spend the rest of your life with a bitter old person? Anybody? If you're a woman here and you're under 30 years old, okay, under 30 years of age, is it your dream to sign up to take care of a bitter old person for the rest of your life for free? I'm sure Ruth is going. Maybe I need to rethink this, because uh, I don't know. Okay, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's like, God has ruined me. She's still blaming God for her husband's stupid choices. Verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I had everything I ever wanted in life, which is really sad if that was her knucklehead husband who took her to Moab in the first place. But this is how we respond to things. I hear some of you guys complain about your job all the I hate my job, I I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate this. Then you get fired. It's like, I left my job. And and you're freaking out. I'm like, why are you freaking out? You hate your job. Naomi? (laughs) Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And I talked about this last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go listen to it about God's sovereignty of goodness, even in the midst of our trials and affliction. Now, most commentators will speak of how you're not supposed to get bitter like Naomi, and they kind of chastise her in some of the words they say about this. But honestly, how many of us have ever gotten bitter and angry? The rest of you are liars. You know where liars go, right? Naomi is a lot like us. You know, two-thirds of the book of Psalms in the Bible are Psalms of lament or complaint. God, why? God, why? God, why? They're asking. And at least they're asking. At least they're talking to him. It doesn't matter what your theology says because at some point in your life, you will get mad at God. Why? Because God is God and you're not. And God doesn't ask you what you think he should do. God just does what he's going to do. 
He doesn't ask you for help in creating the world. Why not? I would have done it like this. Yeah, because God's God and you're not. It's like God doesn't care how important we think we are. Or something. Right? Maybe you might even be bitter today, but unlike Naomi, you're lying to yourself and others. When people ask how you are, you're like, I'm fine. Really? Christians lie to each other all the time. And then people go and get pills from the doctor to make us feel better so we don't have to face the fact that we're angry at God or we dislike Him. Like, you're not an atheist. You totally believe. You just don't like God's decisions at times. You're with your, with your GC. It wasn't with the people they were, and you had people in it named like Jim Beam or Jim Walker because you'd hang out with them all the time if you could. One, one, comment, one, one writer said this, If Ruth's virtue is loyalty, Naomi's virtue is honesty. And it's true. She's honest about her disappointment with God. She speaks it out loud. How are you doing, Naomi? Horrible. My life sucks. Okay, bye. Yeah, I got to go. She says this in the middle of God's people. They're, they're coming out. Hey, Naomi, don't call me Naomi. She tells them she wonders about God's goodness. And so the question isn't, should you be frustrated? It's, are you? And what do you do with that frustration? Where do you go with it? Do you bottle it up inside? You don't quote verses out of context, well, more than a conqueror. Yeah, but you're still a bitter old person. Do something about that. Talk to the people. Naomi is brutally honest. Because I don't think we have to get bitter. I think we can be open and honest and talk about these things. I believe Jesus comes into our lives where he makes us. He puts us in the middle of communities that can actually help us and grow. But we have to be honest and listen to counsel and correction. We have to grow through that correction. Verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem, that's the house of bread, at the beginning of barley harvest. And that's to show you that God is returning favor again. God is once again bringing bread to the house house of bread it's about hope because all of chapter one is a bummer it is it is tragedy after tragedy after tragedy and at the very end of the first chapter it's like but there's hope it wants you to see that and and after this week you know things are going to actually get better and look up we'll have a lot more fun with it it won't just be like life's horrible life's horrible you'll have a lot of good stuff after this week but what i want to do is go three places to end chapter one and bring it together and i'm going to ask you three questions in this the first one is this who do you identify with in the story Who do you identify with in the story? I'm going to give you four players. There's more than that, but I'm going to give you four. And one of them is not God because you're not God. You're welcome for me telling you that. Um, First guy is Elimelech. Elimelech is Naomi's husband. Naomi's husband. Uh, We didn't talk about him much today or read any verses about him, but Elimelech is a guy who gets scared out of circumstances and he runs away. He runs to a place where God has not called him to. He makes plans in his life without talking to God and everybody dies in the end. He's the person who says, my heart was telling me to do this, so I did it. Not realizing the scriptures teach that our hearts are wicked above all things. Who can understand it? And so many people's advice to others are, oh, follow your heart. Dear God, don't follow your heart. Your heart will run you into trouble. But my heart really says I want to smoke crack. Don't listen to your heart. My heart says to date this person. Don't listen to your heart because that's a loser. All the time. We are like listening to our hearts and it's jacking us up all the time. Elimelech is a guy who would say, oh, I love and follow God. That's what his name actually means. But he makes his own plans. And if he needs God, well, he'll call him later. That's Elimelech and it ruins everything. Are you Orpah? We didn't talk about her today either, but that is Ruth's sister-in-law. She's the opposite of Ruth. For Orpah, Christianity didn't work the way she thought, so she's going to find something else. I'll just get my own spirituality. I'll find what works for me. 
This would be like people today saying things, and I've talked to somebody who said this to me. They said, you know, I know I dated a non-Christian, but I prayed that they would come to know Jesus, and they didn't, so I left Jesus for them. It's like, okay. Uh, ever heard this thing this, this last week where someone said, uh, I, I'm not going to believe in God because he let me marry that person. I'm like, oh, really? God's like, do it! I don't think that's how it happened. I don't think that's how it happened, you know? Maybe you're in a bad marriage and you're like, I'm praying. I prayed to God for the other person to change and they didn't change. You prayed to God to change you? Did you pray for that? You're like, oh no, I read this. You know, I've been praying about this. Elimelech dies. Do I get one of those? I'll pray for that. No, no. God didn't change my situation. God didn't change them. God is the one who needs to make things change. I don't have to be any different. That's Orpah or Naomi. You're bitter and you're lonely and you're angry and you're self-righteous and you're cranky. And God still loves you. For no apparent reason, but because God's good. And then you have Ruth. Are you Ruth? And if you are, let us know, because we have lots of people we'd love to have you talk to and counsel for us. Okay? Because, because Ruth is great. Uh, she trusts in the character of God. Uh, Ruth is faithful. Though she doesn't understand at all, she still trusts God. And a lot of us, we're like one person in the story, then another thing happens, and we're like somebody else. Maybe we start out like a Lemelech. We make all of our own plans. We do all this stupid stuff, and it completely falls apart. And we're like, ah! Then we become like Naomi, and then we get just bitter and angry because God didn't do what we wanted him to do. A lot of times, we switch from one to the other in our lives. At various seasons, we'll be like each of these people. But what you see in the end is that Naomi and Ruth run into the hands of God's people. That's where they go. And this is meant to show us at the beginning of the book of Ruth, you have this idea of the return. This is very big in Jewish literature. It's very big in the words of Jesus. It's this word called teshuva. We get our word repentance from that. It's the idea that God wants people to return to him, to walk in his ways. And at the end of the book, of the first chapter of Ruth, you see these women return to the place of blessing and grace. That's what God is calling them to. Today, we need to be a people who run into the hands of God, be part of his family, join a gospel community, grow into who God's calling us to be. The book of Ruth is not a story where God takes somebody and he just plops them in Israel. It's a slower story. It's a story of movement of movement, of slowly bringing redemption into these lives and growing them to see all these things that God's going to do on the back end. It's also a story that suggests, though Ruth, though she seems powerless, has a tremendous amount of power in the decisions she makes and the choices that shape the rest of her life. I believe it's God calling and molding her heart and bringing her in, but Ruth doesn't make excuses for anything in her past. So my second question for you is this. What excuses do you have for things? What excuses do you have for things? I, sometimes when I ask a question like, did you bring a bitter old hag? And you're like, I didn't raise my hand. What's your excuse for not? No. Um, there's this uh, video on YouTube, millions of hits at this point. There's this little kid. He's caught red-handed with his mom's lipstick. And he wrote on the walls in the bathroom. And she said, did you do this? And he says, no. And she says, well, who did it? And he says, Batman. And so I found it. It's really short. It's like 15 seconds. I thought I'd show it to you because it's kind of cute. Who was it? It's Batman. <laughs> it's Batman. Batman did it. It's Batman did it. It's not, Batman. I know it sounds like Batman. Okay, it's, it's Batman. Batman did it. This is we we all have excuses for things, right? How we spend our money, how we spend our time, the relationships that we get into, why we don't work well at our job. Think about the excuses today for obesity in America. I was listening to this podcast on NPR, and they had a specialist. They asked about it, and they said, we're learning the answer is diet and exercise. I'm thinking, we're learning? That is diet and exercise? 
As, I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive at all, but really? Really? I mean, we think we know how to fix our fundamental problems, but we don't. Our country has tons of problems right now. But if you were to whittle it down in people's lives, what it really comes down to that people have a problem with personally is debt and diet. Those are the two big things. And we know the solution. Don't spend more than you make. Eat better food and exercise. We have all these lists of why we don't do it. And we explain these stories of why we can't get better. We take personality tests that say, I'm a bat or a platypus or a badger or a goat, and that's why I can't live on a budget. I mean, I'm not against personality tests per se. Every time I take one, it's different depending on my mood, right? But, but we use them for our excuses. Oh, you don't understand. I'm type A. I get to drive like an idiot and boss you around. That's my excuse, by the way. That, that, that's my... Oh, I'm angry because my dad was angry or my mom never gave me affection. How can I ever be confident? And I'm not saying your past doesn't affect you. I'm telling you it does. It does. We don't get to choose our parents or the geography where we're born, the stories we're told, how we're raised. But my question is, is that it? Is that all that there is? Sometimes the stories we tell ourselves turn into this big deal and it overshadows the rest of our lives and it's total BS. My story is this. When, when I was a kid, my, my mom was divorced a few times and I always felt like nobody wanted me. And so I was this really, really insecure kid. Uh, I thought all of her divorces were because of me and they might have been because I was a crazy kid. Uh, but... But I remember when I was in junior high, I would ride my bike to school, I'd ride home from school, and the first thing I would do was I'd go and I'd look in her closet to make sure her clothes were still there and that she didn't leave me during the day because I always thought it was going to happen. And then, you know, I start dating, and any relationship with the girlfriend I was involved in devolves into jealousy because I think they're going to leave me, which evolved into, well, I'm horrible, and it is what it is, so what do I care? And then I meet Jesus, right? My entire life becomes changed. The stories that I've told myself are true. I begin to realize they aren't actually true. And then I get married, and I still struggle with some of these insecurity things throughout our marriage. The first few years were tough as God hammered me and changed me and molded me more into who I was meant to be because I kept telling myself what the story was. This is your story. This is your story. Rather than letting Jesus tell me what the story is. It is his story spoken over us. Jesus is not just another bit player in your story. Oh, Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, you got a problem with Jesus as your co-pilot. Oh, you got all these excuses and stories, and they sit right next to Jesus, and he's just another part of it. No, it is Jesus' story spoken over you. This is what redemption is supposed to be, then we understand it. It's his story. He is molding us, remaking us. He is reshaping us. That's the gospel. Jesus redeemed us by his blood, by paying for our sin, to restore our most important relationship, the one between us and God. And if God can love us, and if God can want us, that should change how every other relationship is then lived out. Third question is, what stories have you told yourself that have defined who you are? What stories do you tell yourself that define who you are? Some of us, all of us, buy into these negative stories. I am not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And then we become so busy trying to appease these thoughts in our heads that we're trying to appease other people or appease all these things because we have made up in our minds what our story actually is. And it becomes self-centered narcissism. Ruth has all these stories that could define who she is. I am a Moabite. I don't belong here. My husband died. God must hate me. You're a woman, a widow. There's no hope for you. But she moves forward trusting God, that God has something he is doing. She stops being stuck by all of these stories she's been told and starts trusting the living God. Thomas Merton once wrote this. How do you expect to arrive at your own destination when you are traveling to another man's city? 
What he means by that is that everybody's living in these stories that people are saying about them, and they're not living where God has placed them. They're living where everybody else is trying to place them. We're always in another person's city. This is what the gospel comes in to free us from, being in the wrong city, where you don't just say, oh, it's my genes, it's just my family, this is what I deserve, and there's nothing I can do about it. The truth is, there is nothing you can do about it. But the truth is also, there is everything that Jesus has already done about it. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has come to rescue ourselves in the midst of our sin. He is making all things new, even us. Do you want to live in the newness of life? Do you want to live in true and real freedom? Do you want to be who God actually calls you to be? Living in the gospel is how we live out that truth that God rescued us in his sovereignty in the midst of our everyday life. For Ruth, the expected thing for her is to stay put and be powerless. And yet because she trusts God, she goes where he leads in his power and his strength. And that has how we have been called to trust and live in the gospel. Maybe you feel like today you're in a liminal space. You're, you're just stuck. You're in limbo. You've got to realize God is calling you home. He is calling you home. He's calling you to return to Teshuvah, to who he has called you to be. Step over the threshold. Surrender your life to him. Understand what he is writing and saying about you. Because the story of the book of Ruth, I know it's called Ruth, but it's really God's story. As all of the scriptures are God's story. As all of our lives are God's story. And when we start understanding that and actually believing it and living in that, that's when we start to partake in the true freedom that God brings. Our lives surrender to who he is. We stop telling him how to do everything. And so we surrender and walk in the ways he has called us to walk. Because our God is good. And our God wants to rewrite everything that everyone has said about you. Because he loves you. And he knows who you were meant to be. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion. It's where you break that cracker. It reminds you of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because we were lost. We were stuck. He comes to break the chains to unstuck us. Now, that's a word. But, you know, he, he sets us free. He begins to rewrite, and we understand everything in light of his story. The band's going to come up. Uh, as they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. Uh, there will be deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, maybe you're in a place today where you feel like you're in a liminal space. You feel like you are just stuck in this area and you don't know left or right or how to get out. Or what's, they'd love to pray with you about that. And guys, it happens all the time. So maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a bitter old hag. They would love to pray with you. Well, maybe not love to, but they would pray with you about that, right? You know, whatever it is, are you angry at God? Do you have questions for God? Do you, do you just feel stuck? Go and pray about it. Let someone talk to you. Begin to be honest about what's going on in here. So God will begin to do things as you begin to live out your life in different ways. Because again, it is his story. It's his story. There's offering boxes in the side of all in the back and we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship. Uh, we don't pass the plate. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's food in the back. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. Hopefully this week you can have some good conversations about this idea of what stories have you told yourself that you have accepted as being true rather than God's story about you. And then maybe you for one another can actually sit down and talk about what God's story is and what redemption can actually look like. Yes, we have all made a kind of horrible decisions in our lives, and, and they're terrible. But i got to tell you, God is a God of redemption, and he will turn everything ultimately in the end to his good because that's who he is. So we need to be a people who trust him 
in that. All that he is because he is the one who writes our story. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us as a people how to understand the truth that you have spoken over us as a people. That we would see the ways that we have grasped onto our own story and told ourselves things that aren't necessarily true. As he would teach us the way that we hear the words other people say to us. And we take those upon ourselves. As they would see the way that, that the culture that we live in speaks at us whether it's through advertisements or movies or TV or magazines or books, and we would see what it is saying. And then be able to take a step back and understand that it's not their stories. It's your story spoken over us. And our eyes will be placed upon you as the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. And we'd be able to live in the goodness and the joy that you provide. That we would step out into this world and begin to live as people who live in your name, who begin to understand more fully your miraculous providence of rescuing and saving and bringing us home again, that we would worship you in awe and wonder because you didn't leave us in the midst of our own story, that you have rewritten everything through the graceful death and resurrection of your Son. So teach us to be a people who worship you in all things, who honor you because you are good. And most importantly today, that we would understand the story of the gospel of your grace as it rescues and redeems. And we live that out, bringing you great glory because you have rescued and saved. We ask this in your Son's good name. Amen.